0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to Episode 68. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. With Colonel Vinman, you know, I'm not going to focus uh, or comment on a former uh, junior employee. I know the White House has not spoken to him since he left, and I would refer you for further to the Army. That's White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, a political hack who's never served a day in the military that just a few weeks ago was raving about the magnificence of our military bases, calling a decorated, wounded Army lieutenant colonel a former junior employee. That's what she called Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. So President Mayhem and his team celebrates Roger Stone, a criminal, and attacks Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, a war hero, in the same week. As thousands of Americans continue to die from the coronavirus, President Mayhem attacks his political opponents from the Rose Garden. And he focuses on hawking beans. We're all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump, who is a builder. And that's what my grandfather did. He came to this country to build, to grow, to prosper. And so we have an incredible builder and we pray We pray for our leadership, our president, and we pray for our country. That's CEO of Goya Foods, Robert Unanwe. If you missed it, it's been an especially weird and disconnected time at the White House. And Unanwe said, we're all truly blessed to have a leader like President Donald Trump. The only part he got right is that we need to pray for our country. The president is failing to address Russian bounties on U.S. troops. He's failing to stand with our allies. He's failing to protect us from the virus. He's failing to behave like a normal human being. And after that speech with the CEO of Goya, of course, boycotts of Goya happened. Predictably. But unpredictably. Even for this crew. Trump and his daughter Ivanka posted photos of themselves with Goya products smiling from inside the White House is pathetic. It's pathetic to the point that our friend Chris Cuomo was driven to this. You tell me how a president in the middle of a pandemic has got time for this bullshit. Are you
1: kidding me? Hawking products, I'm going, I don't care who it is. Resolute desk. This is what he's resolute about. Pandemic priorities? His daughter, Ivanka, top White House advisor. Are you
0: kidding me? Marketing for a brand following calls for boycotts after Goya's CEO heaped praise on Trump last week. On your dime in the middle of a pandemic, they're selling beans. Are you you kidding me? Seriously, seriously. This
1: is not left and right. This is reasonable, my brothers and sisters. The guy's sitting on the Resolute desk with a bunch of Goya products.
0: We hear you, Chris. We all hear you. America hears you. Stay angry, man. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Every single day Trump is in office, our enemies celebrate. All around the world, they celebrate our weakness, our division, and our feckless, ineffective, despicable president. And our allies shed a tear. They're sad for us. They mourn for us. And they are united in their concern for us. And music fans are particularly sad. Overseas and here at home. There's no concerts this summer. None of the great music festivals, big and small, that make up summer and music in America. No Lollapalooza. No Electric Daisy Carnival, no Firefly, no Coachella, no Bonnaroo, no Stagecoach, no Outside Lands, no Austin City Limits, no Jazz Fest, no Voodoo. None of your local bands, your local symphony, your local favorite live music venue, your local park or waterfront. From EDM to country to folk to jazz to rock and roll to hip hop, it's all on pause along with every music tour in America, big and small. And even though our president is dangerous, awful, despicable, and hated, our culture is still beloved worldwide. There's no denying its popularity. Even now, our movies, our technology, our sports, and our music, especially our music, American music is one of the single most powerful weapons in the diplomatic arsenal of the United States. Our music inspires people. Our music makes people dance. Our music brings people together, people of all kinds, worldwide. And few American artists have been more positive, more powerful, more impactful, more influential worldwide than Mike Shinoda. Yeah,
2: they tell you that you should quit trying. You were too small, that you were too young chance is too slim the world is too big but you say how come i'm ready to light a new fire raise a new flag to cross a new sea and if i'm ever the one in your way then put your head down and run right through me well, I keep for so much
0: as bad as trump's been as a global ambassador for america mike shinoda's been good <laughs> He's best known as a founder and the co-lead vocalist for the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning super rock band Linkin Park. No matter who you are or where you are, you've been touched by Mike's work. He's a true national treasure. And in our candid and extended conversation, Mike's not holding back. I tell people, look, just think about it like if you
2: wake up and your head hurts, you notice it. If you mm-hmm. wake up and your back hurts, you notice it. And you might even say like, oh, my back hurts. Like I should take it easy today. Or maybe it's so bad that I should call in sick to work today. Or maybe it's so bad I need to go to a doctor and like get my back looked at. I don't think anybody goes, that's stupid. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? Right? And yet when we talk about
0: our brains. You don't do the same thing. Why not? Mike and Lincoln Park have a massive global following and actually hold the title as the most liked band on Facebook and have amassed over 7.7 billion YouTube views. Billion. Mike has sold over 55 million albums worldwide. He sold out stadiums around the globe. He's earned countless awards. Two Grammys, five American Music Awards, four MTV VMA Awards, 10 MTV Europe Music Awards, three World Music Awards, and most recently, Rock Album of the Year at the 2018 iHeart Radio Music Awards for Linkin Park's seventh studio album, One More Light. And Mike's got a new project now that you need to know about. It's bringing people together worldwide, and it's opening doors for others worldwide. That's Mike's new track, Open Door. When the pandemic hit us all, And pushed us into our bedrooms, our basements, and our garages. And made many of us sad, isolated, or angry. Mike did what he always does. He innovated. And that song, and the new project it leads off, is the inspiring product of that innovation. Mike's united people from around the world by inviting them into his home, into his studio, and into his creative process. He opened his doors to hundreds of user-generated vocal submissions and picked seven and turned them into Open Door. Open Door is the lead element of 12 tracks on his channel and the new album called Drop Frames Volume 1. Drop Frames is a reference to his shitty Wi-Fi reception inside his house during the pandemic. I've been honored to get to know Mike over the years and honored that Mike joined me via Zoom from his home to talk about his new project to talk about his pandemic experience, to talk about what he thinks the future of concerts look like, and to talk about what he thinks about Trump, Black Lives Matter, and the toxicity of social media. And Mike shares a pretty amazing first car story. And of course, his favorite drink. But before we kick open the door on an awesome and inspiring conversation with the great Mike Shinoda, there are no concerts this summer, none. No hip hop and a dance club, No heavy metal in a dive spot, no jazz in a wine bar, no country in a football stadium, no blues down by the water, no classical in the park. But there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. There are no bands touring across America this summer, but the three storms are. The three summer storms crashing all across our country that continue to intensify and evolve. The virus, the protests after the George Floyd murder, and the 2020 election. Those three storms are the closest thing we have to the summer roar of a live show. We can't sing along with the band. We can't pull out our cell phone flashlights together. We can't look at the set list on the stage, behind the soundboard, or online. The only show we've got to share now is a shitty one. A very shitty one. Shittier than a pandemic vanilla ice show. It's our ongoing global war against the coronavirus. And that war against the virus continues to expand. Over 13.4 million cases worldwide now, closing in on the entire population of Zimbabwe or Somalia. And at least 580,000 people have died almost equal now to the entire population of Tucson, Arizona, or Albuquerque, New Mexico. Poorer nations in Latin America, the Middle East, South Asia, and Africa now have a growing share of the caseload. They and the U.S. The only world tour happening this summer is the virus. And thanks to President Mayhem, who is the only guy in the developed world trying to have a summer tour... And thanks to a wide range of Trump backup singers and opening acts, America is still solidly at the top of the worst billboard chart in the world. America's not selling records, we're breaking records. We have 3.5 million coronavirus cases total now. More than the population of every city in America except for LA and New York. And as LA announces its schools won't open this fall, we're closing in on a total number equal to the entire population of Los Angeles. Outbreaks have increased in 41 states over the last two weeks. And I wish I was wrong months ago, but I warned you that this could be what the summer looks like and that the fall and winter could be even worse. 138,000 Americans are now dead. And the number of American dead is equal to the entire population of Dayton, Ohio, or Waco, Texas. And from the time the pandemic started, I told you, there are two kinds of local leaders. The kind that are trying to contain and defeat the virus and win the war, and the second group that's trying to kill the rest of us. The old normal is long gone. And our friend Dr. Tetros of the World Health Organization broke it down with yet another stern warning for the world you know he's looking at us here in the us in particular
1: there will be no return to the old normal for the foreseeable future but there is a roadmap to a situation where we can control the disease and get on with our lives but this is going to require three things first a focus on reducing mortality and suppressing transmission second an empowered engaged community that takes individual behavior measures in the interest of each other. And third, we need strong government leadership and coordination of comprehensive strategies that are communicated clearly and consistently. It can be done, it must be done. It can be done, it must
0: be done. He's right, again, we need strong local government leadership, And that's the part we're missing the most here in the U.S. The U.S. saw another record number of new coronavirus cases in a single day, with 67,000 new cases reported in one day in the last week. And that included a military child at Fort Sill, the youngest person to die of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, 13-year-old Anna Carter. And our hearts are with the family and friends of young Anna as they grieve the loss of their precious child. If you're new to this show and want to support, go to TAPS, taps TAPS.org, to get grief and coronavirus resources for yourself or to support those who need it. TAPS.org, the tragedy assistance program for survivors, is continuing to lead the fight. They're providing support for Anna's family and for so many other families around the country. We're all in it together. As this continues to unfold, we're still Riders on the Storm.
3: Riders on the storm.
0: Riders on the storm. we got to stick together wherever we can as a community, because there is hope. The first coronavirus vaccine was tested in humans and has showed early promise. The vaccine, developed by government scientists and Moderna, a biotech company we've talked about before, appeared safe and provoked an immune response in 45 people in a new study. That's promising. In my home, New York City, health officials reported zero new coronavirus deaths for the first time since March 11th. New York tough has never been more true. And leadership and unity has never mattered more. But leadership and unity is too often still lacking. And there's only one thing spreading faster in the U.S. this summer than the virus. It's the surprise hit of the summer of 2020 and the only band still touring. It's The Stupid, the biggest American band of 2020 so far, The Stupid. They're scarier than Guar and worse than any garage band you've ever seen. And President Mayhem and his minions have been spreading the stupid all summer long. And if the stupid were a touring band, it would be like the Grateful Dead. It's everywhere. Always. And this guy, he'd be like the king of the deadheads. But to be very clear, uh, we don't want CDC guidance to be a reason why, why people don't reopen their schools. So that's Pence. Maybe he wouldn't be the king of the deadheads. Maybe he'd be the vice king. Because there can only be one king, right? And of course, that should be President Mayhem himself. That's audio of President Mayhem's trip to Walter Reed Medical Center this week. And you can hear tons of cameras clicking. Because of course, it's a military photo op again. And he actually wore a mask. The Lone Ranger himself wore a mask. A black mask complete with the presidential seal on it and the trademark Trump scowl. But please, don't give him any credit for this. Give Walter Reed leadership credit. They likely told him, no mask, no visit. But he never misses a chance to use the military photo op. But he's finally wearing a mask. Too bad he didn't do it back in February or March. Imagine how different things would be now if he did. And now that Trump is finally wearing a mask, others are finally doing the same. Walmart is now requiring all customers to wear a mask beginning on July 20th. It's amazing they hadn't done that already. But they hadn't because of President Mayhem and because of people in his administration like Vice President Pence and like Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education. She is what bad leadership looks like. And here's what DeVos sounds like. What are experts
4: telling you about the appropriate level of transmission for a school before it has to shut down? Well, I know that that's an area that the CDC is helping to provide further insight into. Um, I, I can't, as a non-physician or a non-medical expert, tell you precisely what to do in the case of one child in a classroom or five child children in a classroom, but the, the key is Every school should have plans for that situation to right, be able to pivot and ensure that kids can continue learning uh, at a distance if they have to. For but a short you're the period secretary of, time. of education, you're asking students to go back. So, why do you not have guidance on what a school should do just weeks before you want those schools to reopen, and what happens if it faces an outbreak? You know, there's really good examples that have uh, been utilized in the private sector and in and elsewhere, also with frontline workers and hospitals, and all of that data and all of that information and all of those examples can be referenced by school leaders. But I'm not hearing a plan from the the Department of Education. Do you have a plan for for what students and what schools should do? Schools should do what's right on the ground at that time for their students and for their situation. There is no one uniform approach that we can take na- or should take nationwide but can because I just the ask needs you, I, I of wonder- a school in the city of Detroit, are very, right. in my home state, in the city of Detroit, would be very different than that of a school in the that's Upper Peninsula Exactly. Of Michigan. And that's the point. That's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. But you are arguing over and over that they should handle this on a local level. But at the same time, as the Secretary of Education, you are trying to, to push them to do a one-size-fits-all approach, which is go back and reopen schools. You can't have it both ways. I am urging all schools to be re- to open and to be f- providing their students a full-time education. Ugh.
0: She needs a full-time education on how to be a better leader. That's what bad leadership sounds like. And that's Betsy DeVos always, not just now. Good work there by Dana Bash at CNN, trying to hold her accountable. But bad leadership in the Trump administration is everywhere and nowhere more pronounced than with Peter Navarro. He is technically an assistant to the president and the director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy.
1: I mean, everybody thought, and this was a reasonable presumption, that come summer, the heat and humidity would get rid of the virus. It doesn't look that way. This looks more like a weaponized virus.
0: Only he and political hacks like him, who were infected with the stupid, thought the virus would go away in the summer heat. And the only weaponized virus is the stupid. And he uses it daily. Recently, he led attacks against Dr. Fauci. Yes, really. He's attacking Dr. Fauci. They're attacking Dr. Fauci, the White House, the president. They're attacking Dr. Fauci. And Navarro wrote an op-ed in the USA Today to lead the attack. He claimed, Anthony Fauci has been wrong about everything I have interacted with him on. That was the headline from Navarro against Fauci. And Fauci responded. I can't explain Peter
2: Navarro. He's in a world by himself, so I don't even want to go there.
0: Dr. Fauci is right. Again, as almost always, Navarro is in a world unto himself. And Dr. Fauci may not want to go there, but I will. This is an easy one. Navarro isn't qualified to talk about or lead anything except maybe a convention of the stupid. So, this episode, it's easy. Peter Navarro, you're the perfect guy to follow Tucker Carlson last episode. And now, follow a long line of individuals who have earned a very special recognition. It's not a Grammy or a VMA like Mike Shinoda won, no. And there are no concerts happening. But you, Mr. Navarro, you are leading a concert of a very special kind, a concert of like minded people. Spanning from Mike Pence to Bill de Blasio. But you, sir, you are a true leader. Year after year, week after week, issue after issue, if The Stupid were on world tour, you would be the lead singer. And this would be your lead track on the album without a doubt. That's your song, Peter Navarro. And if you got all the others together on the same stage, it would be like a lineup of the worst music festival ever created. The anti-Woodstock, Bizarra Palooza, Dummeroo, Jerk Cella. You'd have on that stage Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who now has banned any policies implementing mask use in Georgia. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, we know all about her and Mount Rushmore. Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Mowgli, remember him? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, still in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Senator Rand Paul, Been quiet for a few weeks, but don't worry, he'll be back. Vice President Mike Pence, we mentioned earlier. The mobs of morons taking guns to the Michigan Capitol to protest stay-at-home orders. And VA Secretary Robert Wilkie, the guy who pushed hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans on Memorial Day. The looters after the George Floyd murder. The radicals who want to eliminate the police, Paw Patrol, and the wire. Mayor Disaster, of course, Bill de Blasio. Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz. Congressman Louis Gohmert. Vanilla Ice and Tucker Carlson. You could all be on the stage together, a concert of the stupid. And at your concert, you would continue to infect more and more people. We warned you, Fauci warned you, Common Sense warned you, but you didn't listen. And there's another guy who should join you in that concert. The best example of what not to do, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, who rarely wears a mask. He resisted a statewide mask mandate and has aggressively pushed to reopen his state. And of course, he attended Trump's Tulsa, Oklahoma rally. And he had some news to share this week. I personally get tested periodically throughout this whole thing um, and uh, got tested yesterday for COVID-19 and the results came back positive. Oh, yeah? Really? You don't say. You didn't wear a mask, ran around shaking hands with strangers for months, and attended Trump's super spreader event in Tulsa, and you tested positive. No shit.
1: Surprise, surprise,
3: surprise.
0: The Trump administration is an army of Gomer piles. And even if they all start wearing masks, they all start changing their tune, and they all get on board, which they won't, there's still a very rough forecast ahead. And here's Ed Yong, science writer at The Atlantic, with Krishan Amanpour on PBS, with maybe the most accurate prediction I've seen yet about what to expect, even if we get a vaccine at the end of the year. All the talk about a vaccine,
4: where do you stand? Where, where are you looking for the best answer to, to, to where one might come from, how long, etc.?
1: You know, if you'd asked me this question earlier on in the pandemic, I would have given you a science-based answer about um, length, the, how how long the process of vaccine creation will will take. Now I would give you a sociological answer. I would say that what, what the question that most concerns me is not how long will it take a vaccine to arrive, but can a country that is doing so badly as we are right now at controlling COVID-19, roll out a vaccine in a way that is equitable efficient um uh, and i i'm not sure i'm not sure i have faith in that process let me give you three predictions for our vaccines firstly that a lot of people are going to resist um the very idea of getting it because they've been told for months years now not to trust experts that um, the people who have been most marginalized during this pandemic, who've been disproportionately hit, black, brown, poor, indigenous, disabled, elderly people will be last in line to get a medical countermeasure that's developed. And that the deployment of such a vaccine is just going to be a logistical nightmare. A country that seven months into a pandemic still cannot ensure that its healthcare workers have enough gowns and gloves and protective equipments Is not going to be able to distribute a vaccine in an efficient way. It simply isn't, and so I worry a lot about even this um, this end game being another area we look back on with dismay. And we need stronger leadership. We need more actual leadership if we are going to deal with this. We can't just rely on a biomedical um,
0: silver bullet. He's right, unfortunately. So don't go buying tickets for any concerts in the fall or the winter just yet. And don't go buying tickets for baseball or basketball or football or your favorite band, because we're not getting back to that stuff anytime soon. And we're not getting back to concerts. And we're not getting back to sports. Talk to me so you can see oh, what's going on, what's going on,
2: what's going on.
0: As the protests continue across America, they're often filled with music and the closest thing we'll probably have this summer to a concert experience or to sports. And there's big news. After our big sports show with Joy Taylor from FS1's The Herd in the last episode, epically unpopular Washington owner Dan Snyder made it official and announced that the Washington football team is finally moving on from the offensive, racist, derogatory team name. After financial pressure from sponsors, and maybe more important, pressure from Native American activists who pushed the team to abandon the name. So finally, the day has come. Congrats and thank you to all the activists who never stopped fighting. They finally will be changing the name. The times, they are changing. And what are they going to change to? Well, Sports Insider has some odds and I'll rank them from highest to lowest. According to the odds makers, the number 1 most likely replacement name is the Red Wolves, which I think kind of sucks. Next up is the Red Tails. We talked about that last episode, named after the famed Tuskegee Airmen and the Red Tail planes they used to fly. After that, the Warriors, after that, the Generals, after that, the Presidents or the Lincolns or the Monuments. Or the Memorials, all incredibly boring and stupid names. Or the Redhawks, the Kings, the Americans, the Veterans. Someone wants to actually, I'm a veteran, and I don't want the football team called the Veterans. The Roosevelt's or the Jeffersons. I think most of those are pretty terrible. Those are the odds, and those are some of the contenders. Whatever they're called, I look forward to watching the New York Giants stomp them with regularity. But the times, they are changing And there's more good news. No live fans will be allowed at Philadelphia Eagles or Phillies home games. The message is clear. When it comes to Philadelphia sports, as most sports will probably follow, they're shutting it down.
2: down.
0: That's the best news Giants quarterback Daniel Jones has heard all summer. But there'll be no crowds in Philadelphia and in most cities around the country. And not a lot of good news when it comes to sports. And there's very little good news inside the Pentagon, as The Stupid continues to play its greatest hits inside the building and all across the Department of Defense. And despite my best efforts and about a two or three day news cycle, there's been no movement on the issue of Russian bounties paid to kill American troops. There was a hearing, however, and here was Secretary Jesper answering questions from Congress.
3: Have you received a intel briefing that stated that included the word bounty with respect to Russians uh, and uh, the killing of American men and women in uniform?
1: Congressman, to the best of my recollection, I have not received a briefing that included the word bounty.
3: Mr. Secretary, I really appreciate you saying that. Now, the next question then is, and if you had, wouldn't that have risen to the level of importance enough for you to bring it to the President's attention? That would be an action item, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be so outrageous that, that you would bring that up the chain of command.
1: If if it was a credible report, that's important, a credible corroborated report that Had that used those words, uh, certainly uh, it would have been brought to my attention by the chain of command, by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and others uh, for action. It would have been uh, and we would have taken upon that action in an interagency effort to make sure that we got we, we addressed it. They didn't
0: address it and they don't want to address it now. And in response to additional questions from lawmakers, Jesper acknowledged that he has been briefed on reports that Russia made. Payments, quote-unquote, to militants to kill American troops. So, it should be no surprise that this is the territory we're in. Jesper sounds like Clinton back in the day, saying, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. We should expect no less from Jesper. If he knew and did nothing, it's criminal. And Trump should have to answer the same hard questions before Congress, too, immediately. Anyone who knew and did nothing should be in jail. Trump lied. Vets died. That's the hashtag. Remember it. Repeat it. Don't let this story die. There must be accountability. Every person responsible needs to be held accountable and I think needs to go to jail. At the highest level, congressional investigations have to continue to push, and if appropriate, push articles of impeachment. Just a little over a week ago, everybody in the media wanted to talk about the Russian bounty story. Now it's almost entirely out of the headlines, just like Trump would have hoped just like Putin would have hoped. But remember, our enemies are celebrating while Trump and Jesper and all their allies continue to play games. They continue to play politics with our troops, run from accountability, and put Trump's agenda ahead of our national security. And Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, actually spoke about it this week. He said, quote, there's no doubt in my mind that foreign adversaries are trying to take advantage of the civil unrest in the U.S., There shouldn't be any doubt in anyone's mind. They're definitely trying to take advantage of that and all the weakness that President Mayhem has created daily. And Esper is backing him up. Esper lied. Troops died. Esper is the worst secretary of defense we've ever seen. He's a disgraceful political hack who continues to protect Trump instead of protecting our troops. If he knew and did nothing, he should be in jail. And there's no shortage of issues that he knew about and did nothing about. Because there's a story this week in Stars and Stripes, which, by the way, Trump is trying to defund, that showed a recently declassified Department of Defense document revealed that the Pentagon knew that troops were exposed to multiple toxins and hazards that have led to hundreds of cancer cases and dozens of dead veterans who deployed to Uzbekistan. I bet you didn't even know we had troops in Uzbekistan. But recently declassified DOD documents show that the Pentagon new troops got exposed to all kinds of toxins and hazards when they were deployed to Uzbekistan in the early days of the war on terror. And, of course, the Department of Veterans Affairs is denying most of them care and disability. There was a base called Karshi-Karnabad, or K2. It's a former Russian air base in southern Uzbekistan that had a border with northern Afghanistan. And after the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. put a camp there, Camp Stronghold Freedom at K2. It was used to support combat missions from 2001 to 2005. And vets described a toxic environment where pond water glowed green and black sludge oozed from the ground. And the government posted massive white and yellow signs warning troops to keep out of certain areas due to chemical agents. So they knew, and they denied it. On another story, they knew and they denied it. So this applies now to multiple stories in the last month. Esper lied and troops died. Trump lied, vets died. And meanwhile, $10 billion in DOD money has been diverted to the border wall since last year. And there's a massive Navy ship burning in San Diego. The USS Boneharm Richard has been on fire for a couple of days. It's an 840-foot amphibious assault ship that was burning for days. The fire started in its low area where armored vehicles are parked and where heavy-duty cardboard boxes, rags, and all kinds of other stuff was being stored. And it quickly went up the well deck into a wide hangar area and took off from there. At one point, the fire reached 1,000 degrees. 60 sailors and civilians have been treated for minor injuries and heat exhaustion and smoke inhalation. It's probably something you haven't even seen. I'll have more later in the show on how you can help, but have no doubt. Secretary Jesper does not have it under control and our enemies are celebrating. But there is some good news. Some good news we're celebrating. Some good news you probably didn't see in the midst of all the Goya madness. For the first time in history, A woman has graduated from Army Special Forces training. The New York Times first reported that a woman, an enlisted National Guard soldier, neared the finish line of Special Forces Qualification School, known as the Q course. The training gets broken up into six phases, which focus on things like small unit tactics, language, cultural training, unconventional warfare tactics, and more. She was in the final stages of training in February and completed it in June. So history has been made. The first ever American female Green Beret. Tremendous. So despite the failed political leadership at the top, there is still tremendous leadership throughout our military. And it underscores that the DOD and the VA could have been a powerful lineup. They could have combined to make incredible music. They could have been Linkin Park and Jay-Z. They could have created the public pandemic response equivalent of Numb Encore the song that mashed up lyrics from Linkin Park's Numb and Encore by Jay-Z. It was a huge hit. You remember that one. That's what the VA and DOD could have been. Instead, it's a disaster. And so is VA leadership. And there's some truly insane news this week. And this is one of the most fury-inducing stories you'll ever hear. A VA nurse murdered seven veterans inside a hospital in West Virginia. Seven veterans, murdered. Rita Mays, 45 years old, pleaded guilty in federal court to killing seven veteran patients at the Clarkburg, West Virginia VA Hospital, and she tried to kill an eighth. For months, she injected them with lethal doses of insulin. She was a nursing assistant who worked the night shifts. She was responsible for measuring patients' vital signs, observing patients who needed extra attention, and testing glucose levels. She wasn't even authorized to administer medicine, but she killed as many as seven veterans. And now she faces a maximum penalty of seven life sentences and another 20-year sentence and up to $2 million in fines. It's a tragic and terrible story. And Archie Edgel was one of those veterans that she murdered. He was 84 years old when he died. The U.S. Army veteran served in Germany during the Korean War and played in the Army band. The loss of life inside VA hospitals and across America outside of VA hospitals is one of the greatest underreported stories of this entire pandemic. If you're a regular listener to this show, you've been tracking it. If you're not a regular listener, consider yourself informed. Because Trump and VA Secretary Wilkie have been using dying vets as guinea pigs. Last episode, I told you about the smoking gun at the Southeastern Veterans Center outside of Philadelphia. For two weeks in April, a drug regimen that included hydroxychloroquine was routinely dispensed at the struggling Veterans Center and even used on patients who hadn't been tested for COVID-19. But up to 30 residents received the drug. It's outrageous, disgusting, and possibly criminal. And there's frankly not much to report on it after last episode. And I said it, a scandal like this would normally bring down most presidencies. And this is another one they're hoping you won't notice. We need immediate congressional investigations and swift action. And jail time for anybody who could have prevented a single death. And again, articles of impeachment too. If appropriate, bring it forward. Trump lied and veterans died. Wilkie lied and veterans died. Don't let this story die. There has to be responsibility and accountability. And the COVID situation across the VA system continues to be dynamic. And as expected, after rushing to reopen, now the VA is walking back the openings. Predictable, preventable, and dangerous. And the new numbers are awful. Veterans deaths at the VA are up 50% since June one. You're probably not hearing about this. It's the side of the pandemic most Americans don't even know about. But if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Active cases are up 356% since June 3rd. But they've only tested 376,000 people nationally, and only 10,000 roughly each day, nationally. So one of the largest agencies in the federal government can only test 10,000 people a day. And New York State continues to average six times that daily. We have a massive testing problem in this country, and nowhere is it more apparent than the VA. And after rushing to reopen, VA numbers are popping all across the country in the places you'd expect. Texas, Phoenix, Arizona, San Antonio, Texas, Orlando, Florida, Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Charleston, South Carolina, Tampa, Florida, Temple, Texas, Miami, Florida. That's just the top facilities, but they're all in the places you'd expect. Texas, Arizona, Florida. As expected, the VA could have been part of the solution. But thanks to Secretary Wilkie and President Mayhem's failed leadership, the agency is part of the problem. But maybe it actually could have been worse. Remember Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the White House physician and Trump's nominee in March of 2018 to replace then-fired VA Secretary David Shulkin? Jackson was called the candy man inside the White House because he would hand out Ambien, Provigil, and other prescription drugs like they were candy. Remember this guy?
1: Can you explain to me how a guy who eats McDonald's and <laughs> fried chicks and all those Diet Cokes and who never exercises
3: is in as good a shape as you say he's in? It's called genetics. I don't know. It's uh, some people have uh, you know just great genes. You know, uh, I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last uh, twenty years, he might live to be two hundred years old. I don't know. I mean, uh, he uh, he has incredible uh, he has incredible genes. I just assume. I mean, you know, if uh, if I uh, if I didn't watch what I ate, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have in the uh, the cardiac and overall health that he has. So he's very healthy despite those things. And I don't think that he does that anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, he's going to the White House now. He's uh, he's eating what they're with the with the chefs are cooking for him now and they're cooking a much healthier diet for him now and we're going to continue to work on that make that even healthier but uh, i would say the answer to your question is he has incredibly good genes and it's just the way god made him
0: yeah that guy the guy who said trump was in great health and said he weighed 239 pounds and said he has incredible genes well all that praise for trump a few years ago has finally paid off for ronnie jackson after strong support from trump Dr. Ronnie Jackson won the runoff primary for Texas's 13th congressional district, and he looks to be heading to Congress after winning the Republican nomination in what is a very deeply red Texas district. Jackson got roughly 56 percent of the vote, and he defeated Josh Weingartner, a lobbyist, in the race to replace Mac Thornberry, who's retiring after 13 terms. Trump congratulated the former White House official on Twitter and spoke to him on the phone. And Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the worst doctor this side of Rand Paul, told Fox News that wearing a mask is a, quote, personal choice. And I don't wear a mask that often, to be honest with you. That's what he told Fox News. Think about how much more jacked up the VA would be if Dr. Ronnie Jackson was running it right now. Better the Texas 13th Congressional District has him than the VA. But he's another gem who's going to soon be representing the American people in Congress. And speaking of elections, the third storm raging across our country that normally sells out arenas is staying below the radar. It's not drawing crowds and, like most bands, is working from the garage or basement. I'm talking about the 2020 election. Now, the GOP and Democrat conventions are only about one month away. And they usually have pretty big concerts, live music, at them and before and after almost every night of programming. I've been to both conventions for the last three elections. And I've seen live music performances ranging from Charlie Daniels and Kid Rock to the Black Eyed Peas and the Foo Fighters. But music is always a part of the conventions. And we'll see what it looks like this year. One guy that seems to have a concert only for himself is Kanye West, who is apparently qualified to appear on ballots in Oklahoma as an independent candidate for November's presidential election. Some representative for West filed the necessary paperwork and paid the $35,000 filing fee on Wednesday. Kanye was one of three independent presidential candidates to pay the filing fee prior to the deadline. The others were concert pianist Jade Simmons and cryptocurrency entrepreneur Brock Pierce. So my fellow independents, this is what we got. Kanye, a concert pianist, and some cryptocurrency person. If you're just joining us, Kanye, who is of course married to television star Kim Kardashian announced his candidacy on the 4th of July. And a few days later, he told Ford Magazine that he and Donald Trump share the same dragon energy and he was taking the red hat off, a reference to Trump's Make America Great Again hat. Wes has also told the magazine that he planned to model his White House on a fictional land in Black Panther, of course, called Wakanda. And he added, let's take the presidency back to Wakanda. Sounds crazy now, but Mar a Lago sounded crazy a couple years ago too, didn't it? And shit, it couldn't be worse than Trump. And coming up next, we've got another guy who announced he's running for president on Twitter, Mike Shinoda. He did announce it, but he wasn't being serious. And he'll talk about Kanye and more coming up. But before that, the VP sweepstakes continues to roll on. Sweepstakes! Sweepstakes! And there's a great series that you should check out called Deep Stakes at Slate. And Slate's got a series on who Biden should pick for his running mate. And it's written by Jeremy Stahl, who makes a case this week for Michelle Obama and says she's the vice president America wants. She's the one black woman that you haven't heard Biden talk much about, but the one person that everyone would probably love. I don't disagree. I think she'd be my favorite, but it ain't going to happen. But it is a fun game to play. But we should know in the next few weeks before the convention who Biden finally picks. And he's watching the polls. And although I think most national polls are shit, Biden has opened up a 15-point lead over Trump in the new national poll. A majority of registered voters, 52%, said they'll support Biden in the general, with 37 going for Trump. It's the widest margin yet and wider than the Quinnipiac June poll when it was 49 to 41. A Wall Street Journal-NBC poll also found Biden leading Trump with an increased margin, Biden with 51 and Trump with 40. So it looks like Baseman Biden is coming on strong, as President Mayhem's tour continues to fizzle out. And this could change quickly. There's always a chance for an encore, so don't head for the exits just yet. There's no live music shows, no concerts to inspire us this summer, but there are helpers. And it's the theme of this show, especially now, the greatest time we'll see in our lifetime for helpers and heroes to emerge. And sometimes those helpers can be the smallest among us. On July 9th, an amazing little boy stepped up. Six-year-old Bridger Walker saved his little sister's life He stood between her and a charging dog. And after getting bit several times in the face and head, he grabbed his sister's hand and ran with her to keep her safe. He had 90 stitches all across his face, and he's recovering now and doing okay at home. But he later said, if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. This brave little boy stepped up. This brave little boy put himself between a threat and a person he loved. That's the definition of a hero. We love this brave little boy, and his aunt posted a picture of him on Instagram. His face is all ripped up and his eye is all swollen, but his little sister's next to him, and she looks awfully happy and proud. And Bridger Walker is a guy that I'm going to be rooting for. We're going to be watching you, little man, to see what you can do. But you represent the best of us, and we're grateful for your leadership and your example. Get better soon, man. The helpers are out there, the leaders are out there, the disruptors, the creators, the trailblazers, the elders, and the icons. And when the history books are written, they'll remember their names. And just like Bridger, there's another name that will always be remembered Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda is a true creative genius and one of the great artists of our time. An artist that spans genres geography and generations mike's a songwriter performer record producer film composer and a visual artist he has a b.a in illustration and a doctorate of human letters from the art center college of design and you probably know him as a legendary co-front man for lincoln park and in 2005 mike launched fort minor his first solo project which i loved It came out as soon as I came back from Iraq and it was a soundtrack for my life at the time and to some extent still is. My drives, my workouts, my writing. It also had the track Kenji, which powerfully, personally, courageously described the experience of a Japanese-American family during the Japanese-American internment camps of World War II. Kenji was inspired by Mike's grandfather, a Japanese-American leader that was put into one of those internment camps. And he'll tell you that story and the story of the other side of his family, the coal mining, Republican, gun-toting side of his family that also shapes part of who Mike is and part of who America is. And in June 2018, Mike dropped his second solo effort, called Post Traumatic. He reflected and processed the loss of his bandmate and friend, Linkin Park lead singer, Chester Bennington. I was privileged to meet Chester years ago. And I saw Chester's commitment to so many causes, and especially to veterans and the military community and folks struggling with mental health issues. We loved Chester, and he loved us. Show after show, time after time, for the entire summer we partnered together. Chester, Mike, Brad, Dave, Joe, their families, their crew, they all stepped up to support our community. This is just one example from a show in Dallas in front of tens of thousands of
3: people. Right now I just want to take a minute to tell everybody about our IAVA veterans who are here today, the Iraq and Afghanistan, (laughs) Veterans of America. It's a really amazing organization. And uh, you'll take the shirt, who said that? I would have put it on, but I would have actually looked like a baby in that shirt because it's like made for big people and I'm a little person. But anyways, the IAVA does amazing things to help bring men and women who have served overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan to come back here, transition back home. Get whatever help they need, whether it's finding a job, whether it's Therapy, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. It's amazing. And we've been able to share a part of our day with these amazing men and women that have come. And uh, it's an honor to meet all of you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifices. Thank you for protecting our country from fucking crazy people who are fucking assholes. You can be an asshole in this country, but we don't give a fuck. Don't come over here and kill us, though. Here's the thing. You guys, the men and women, the armed services, armed forces, you guys make like nights tonight like this, nights like this, possible. And I mean that. We get to make crazy music. It's loud. We get to say whatever we want to say. You guys get to fucking feel however you want to feel and say whatever you want to say. Because of these men and women, and we thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts.
0: Chester was gentle and thoughtful. He met thousands of vets through Lincoln Park's partnership with us at IAVA. He was always patient and kind, and he always took so much time to hear our stories. Chester felt them absorbed them, channeled them. Night after night, he listened, city after city. Chester and Mike and the guys would stop the show and ask thousands of people to pause and think about us, our country, and our cause. The guys in Lincoln Park joined us on the Convoy to Combat Suicide Tour. We had other artists supporting us, too, like Lady Gaga, Korn, Avenged Sevenfold, NASCAR driver Kale Connolly, and some Major League Baseball teams. But the goal of the tour was to pass the Clay Hunt Save Act and to get President Obama to take executive action to battle suicide. And thanks to their support, we got it done. The Clay Hunt Save Act passed. On February 12, 2015, President Obama signed the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans Act into law. It broadened VA and third-party support for veterans and extended combat eligibility for VA hospital care for an additional year. And Lincoln Park also created a song and dedicated it to our community. They worked with us to create a video for the powerful song, Wastelands, and they dedicated it to the troops to help tell our story. in the IAVA community mourn the tragic loss of our friend Chester. We loved him, and he loved us. And after all my years of working with vets, troops, and military families, I learned a lot about loss. And I learned a lot from our guest this past May, the great Bonnie Carroll of TAPS, who always taught me, mourn their death, but celebrate their life. And that's what Mike courageously did. He talked about his friend Chester, he created music, And with his wife, Anna, he drove tremendous support to countless people worldwide, battling depression, mental illness, mental health injuries, isolation, and pain. After the world lost Chester, Mike could have folded up. He could have shut down. He could have packed it in. But he didn't. He shared his pain. He shared his story. And he made sure Chester wasn't forgotten and that his spirit lived on. And he made sure that more people were impacted, that more people were connected, that more people got help. And that's what he's doing again now. Mike Shinoda's always been a leader. He's always been breaking new ground. And he's always been about the four eyes: integrity, information, inspiration, impact. When the pandemic hit, it was no different. Mike did what he does best. He made music and art. This time, he did it live in real time with the help of thousands of fans online via Twitch. He'd do it at 10 a.m., five days a week, despite his shitty Wi-Fi reception at his house. And it was a boost of light for countless people worldwide. Light to contrast the darkness. Light to contrast the heat. And he's going to share with you how he did it and what comes next. These collaborations fuel his official transmission. He's going to share how he did it and what comes next, for him and for music. He's also an entrepreneur. He created Machine Shop Records, and he's an activist and a philanthropist. With Linkin Park, he created Music for Relief after the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. It's a 501c3 charitable organization that's dedicated to providing aid to survivors of natural disasters and the prevention of disasters through environmental programs. Since its inception in 2005, Music for Relief has raised over $8 million for victims of earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires, and tsunamis, from Bangladesh to Haiti to California. And Mike was recognized for his leadership with the Japanese American National Museum Award for Excellence, and he has an honorary doctorate from the Art Center College of Design. Mike's performed with brilliant icons, ranging from Jay-Z to Paul McCartney. He's toured the globe and he's loved worldwide. Throughout his career and throughout his life, Mike Shinoda's found ways to channel his righteous anger into positive impact and to connect, unite, and empower others. Mike Shinoda is a leader in the arena, a voice of reason, a conscience, a great American success story, a parent, and a patriot. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the fighters on the front lines of our three storms, the virus, the protests, and the election. And in this episode, we've got an important, inspiring, iconic guest that understands what it's like to be the man in the arena, and in the stadiums, and on the biggest stages in the world. A leader respected and loved worldwide, a true innovator, and an iconic Angry American. Mike's a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present and is constantly shaping our future. The future of music, the future of art, the future of activism, the future of technology, the future of community. He's a leader that always brings the four eyes that define the show into every single thing he creates. It's a beat of integrity. It's a mic of information. It's a rhyme of inspiration and a concert of impact.
2: 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power.
0: Traditional concerts are on pause, but music is not. Creativity is not. Community is not. These insanely tough times are creating incredible art, and Mike Shinoda is leading the charge for all of us, with all of us. Welcome to a discussion about art, inspiration, and creativity in the pandemic. Welcome to a conversation about the future of live music. Welcome to an exploration of creativity after pain in the midst of adversity and defining the future of what it means to be an artist, a creator, and an American. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 68. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, I am exceptionally excited to have a very special, important, iconic, inspiring guest joining us this episode. Uh, A guy I've been a fan of for a long time, I've been honored to get to know, and I'm always inspired by the great and powerful Mike Shinoda. (laughs) Thank you, man. Great and powerful. Wow. Wow. I was like a, that
2: was like a little, a little extra, um, boost of electricity at the end. I was the rest of it. I was like, following you I'm cool. Cool. And then, and then that, thank you. Well, coming from you, man, I
0: feel like I need a sound effect or something to bring you in, man. (laughs) I appreciate that, PJ. Yeah, man. But it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. Um, you know, it's, it's been a wild couple of months and you and I have stayed in touch over the couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just honored to have you with us, man. Ever since I started the show, I've always wanted to have a conversation with you because you, you really are so dynamic doing so many different things. We're going to get into all of that. Um, but the first question I ask everybody, Mike, since we're in this pandemic is where are you and how are you? And what's this last couple of months been like for you and the people close to you, man? Um, I'm at home. I'm in Los Angeles,
2: uh, and I'm good. Uh, we're generally doing pretty good. I have kids; um, they're they're uh, younger than teen, um, and they uh, and I'm married. My wife is. Um, we're all we're all doing pretty good. It's funny that with the uh, with the quarantine, I have asthma. The kids have it like a little worse than me. So we've been keeping a really strict quarantine. Not going out uh, unless it's like we'll go off to get groceries and to get uh, pick up food. Hmm. Um, occasionally, now see some other families. Uh, but but a lot of our you know in terms of you asked like how am I doing? A lot of that is uh, built into the to the album that that we'll talk about a little bit and the in the live stream on Twitch, which is connected, and um, also the the the, the like with, if you've got kids, you know, part of your well being is like, how good are the kids doing? Are the kids doing well? Like if the kids are doing right. badly, and if your wife's doing badly, then you're probably doing badly. Right. Um, thankfully my, my family's doing well.
0: You guys have an amazing family. Your wife's a great advocate for causes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I've had the honor of being around you guys on tour. You know, we did a partnership together. I was looking back on it. It was summer 2014 is when we kicked off the partnership. I'm glad you put the date on it because yeah. I was,
2: I couldn't, I didn't look it up and I was trying to remember uh, when that was. And we really, I didn't really know you other than the few I'd seen your appearances on. Um, mo- it was mostly like CNN stuff. And um, I was so impressed with IAVA and the, and, the, and the folks that were, with you and the folks that were involved with it and the connection. That we all had with meeting the vets, we would meet people um, before each. It was before the shows, right? It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that because they would sometimes they would give us like a gift, or give us like a coin, or give us uh, like a a a piece of uh, memorabilia or uniform, like something, some piece of their history. And it was so deep. It was so powerful. Um, every single night, we looked forward to that, man.
0: Yeah, it was June 2014. You and I launched the, the partnership on Real Time with Bill Maher. Right. <laughs> which was like, I, I think we uh, we had hooked up before that. You were nice enough to host me at the studio when you were cooking some stuff up. And we met through a mutual friend, right? And uh, I think they were shooting Bill Maher like, in the Price is Right studio or something. So we were like... Oh, that was so weird. Right? Yeah, that yeah. studio is so crazy
2: because they've got those... You know, you're there. I was nervous. Um, I'm not usually su- super nervous for interviews, but that one because it was so out of my norm and out of my comfort zone. Um, I was really, I really wanted to do a good job and and to, like get my, you know, my point of view across and get the things that I was there to talk about across. And then you're walking in the place, and it's like, oh my God! There's the like
0: wheel of fortune,
2: or whatever it was, like, <laughs> yeah. these cool shows that yeah. everybody kind of knows what that stuff looks like.
0: Yeah, like Plinko is back there, and stuff like all these weird looks like look like look, like looks like a float back there, with all these different sets yeah. that come in and out. But yeah, I mean, that's an intimidating show. Like I've done a lot of shows you've been in front of, you know, millions of people over the years. And, and, uh, you know, when you roll out into that kind of shark tank with a live studio audience and it moves really fast is one of the more intimidating shows I've been on. But you and I got to launch that campaign. and we did, um, you know, it was part of our convoy to combat suicide and we did like dozens of shows, man. You guys were always so gracious, And and so humble and so kind, but there was always a real family atmosphere around the tour and even now You know prepping for this talking to your team again reconnecting. It was like getting to know old friends, man Um, But you did you know every time you guys were there to say hello and to hear their stories And I remember the 9-11 show was so powerful in california When you guys had everybody wearing the shirts and you guys gave me a coin for the first time Which was really kind of full circle. I remember where it was man. It was back near your bus and uh, it was a really, really special experience. But it cut to this feeling that I don't know if folks understand unless they're around your tour and around you all, a feeling of family uh, and a feeling of love and support. And you're always involved in so many causes. So just because you mentioned it, I mean, any, you're great at uh, understanding emotion and channeling emotion that you're feeling and other people are feeling. Now you're doing it for really the world again in this new album. But any lessons learned from the last couple of months with your family and with your work that's helped you get through this, Mike? Well, I think in the
2: last few years, I've had more of a, um, you know, I've I've almost been forced to like really like talk about and think about mental health. Um, And it's one of the things that I, I, Learned and, and have taken away and tried to implement is just that mental health. We you know we think about it like physical health, mm. and I think at this point people are li- really worn out on that that phrase mental health. They're worn out by we partially partially because of the amount of times it gets said in, in interviews and on the, in the news cycle and whatever. And that's it's unfortunate that, that that you know when you hear a phrase so many times that it can kind of wear wear on you because this isn't something that. Um, this is, this is something that we're all, every single person on the planet is, is stuck with and dealing with on, uh, as part of their existence, right? So I tell, I tell people, look, it, 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 just think about it. Like if you wake up and your head hurts, you notice it. If you mm-hmm. wake up and your back hurts, you notice it. And you might even say like, oh, my back hurts. Like I should take it easy today. Or maybe it's so bad that I should call in sick to work today. Or maybe it's so bad I need to go to a doctor. And like, get my back looked at. I don't think anybody goes. That's stupid. Why mm-hmm. would you do that, right? And yet, when we talk about our brains, you don't do the same thing. Why not? So when it came to like getting quarantined, getting like put in your, you know, and it. By the way, <clears throat> also, I think different people have a little bit of a a, a sometimes a um ad, their adverse uh, have an adverse reaction to. Uh, people telling you what to do, mm. and, and when the and when the governor or the the law or or even your neighbors or whatever, somebody said, people say like you need to quarantine, you need to put on a, put on a mask, you need to do this or that. Some people just they just don't like being told that. Like it's like it can make all the sense in the world, but like don't who do you, who are you to impose this on me? So there's that sense of like you know someone else telling you what to do, mixed with loneliness. Mm-hmm. Mixed with fear and danger, actual like there's really a thing going out on out there that's killing people, and all of our lives get turned upside down. So mm-hmm. for me, sitting at home with all of that stuff is the backdrop. I'm thinking, well, what's what? How's my brain doing? What am I feeling? I'm feeling like I'm feeling like I really want to see people. I have a loss of a sense of community. I'm feeling like every day is the same. I feel like Groundhog's Day. Mm. Like I wake up and like there's not as much to look forward to. There's not as many surprises because I'm mm. not out in the world. And so what I did is I started um, actively seeking out community with my friends and with people online. And I was live streaming here and there and the live stream started to feel good. And so i made that a part of my schedule every day. That was just, that's just a part of my day now from 10 AM to 1 PM, uh, every weekday I go on Twitch and I, I make something from scratch every day.
0: I love it. I love it. And it's inspiring, man. I mean, it's, it's your entire career and I imagine your life has been, you know, a series of evolutions, and as an artist, I think anyone who's watched you can see you continue to adapt and improvise and change. Mm-hmm. And this new phase is, is really been, I think, exciting for me to watch. And, and the last album that, you know, as soon as it came out, I wrote to you and said, hey, man, you know, this is speaking for so many of us. You said so much that we couldn't say, like, you know, especially in our community, the veterans community, first responder community. We've lost so many friends mm-hmm. and we didn't know how to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, you know, shared that that album with people and said, listen to this, this says what I can't say for myself. I mean, you, to-
2: you sent me some links, some posts that people made about their reaction to the album and things that, you know, because it was a very personal album about grief. It was a diary. It was just yeah, snapshots yeah. of the first, um, I don't know how many months after Chester passed away. Yeah. And yeah, so people listened to it and they're like, well, all these feelings came up. And I, I mean, you know, I don't know firsthand uh, but I do know from, you know, very direct interactions with a lot of vets. Uh, those summer shows with Lincoln Park, for example, every single show we'd hear stories and stories, and that's you know it. It's I don't. It's like one of those things that gets overlooked in so many cases by by people that you know when they're when they're divvying out the budgets, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not thinking like oh yeah all these people that did so much, <clears throat> excuse me, did so much to help our, you know, our country. And so did so much to protect our rights and our, our people. And now they just don't think about it. They know where are those people now? Well, there's there, some of them are quarantined at home alone and they're dealing with mental health issues Right. And
0: you need something. Right. Right. Yeah, man. And, and and I think the one part that was so powerful that I never was able to communicate was especially we we did the campaign together around the loss of Clay Hunt, a Marine who we lost to suicide and the pain of having to tell that story over and over and over again. And his mother testifying before Congress telling that story over and over again. And when you, when you put that into a song, I cried, I remember exactly where I was standing in the gym when I heard it, and it, and it gave voice to so many people, but it also gave hope, man, and inspiration and community, and that's what all of your shows did. A lot of vets said to me, and, and you need to hear it, and your fans need to hear it, folks said to me, you know what? I came to a show, I was having a shitty day, shitty month, shitty year, and I felt like somebody gave a damn about me. And you and Chester and the guys, the, the interpersonal connections, but also from the stage, stopping entire shows of 10,000 people saying, hey, look out for each other. That was really, you know, it was ahead of the curve, man. Now here we are living in this, this new pain. I think that, that that has enabled people and empowered people to, to deal with it in a way that's really a tremendous public service, man. And, and, and I need you to hear that from me. And folks need to know that. You all saved lives. And you continue to do that now, even during the pandemic, I'm sure people are reaching out and finding that connection to you and your work. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I got to shift gears. It is Angry Americans got a series of questions. We're all quarantining. And uh, some of us are having cocktails. We're working out. We're playing music. Mike Shinoda, what is your drink of choice? Your adult beverage of choice or your drink of choice?
2: (laughs) I I love this is such a funny question because I don't know why I don't get asked that ever. Um, I'm a little more of a whiskey guy. It's usually like whiskey or wine. Like if Mm. it's a nice dinner or whatever, then it's probably wine. If it's, you know, chilling out afterwards, uh, or on a, I can, I, first thing that comes to mind, I was just telling somebody about this amazing fishing trip that I took with my dad. Um, it was his once in a lifetime trip to Alaska. My dad is still around by the way. Um, but he, you know, we, it's like, we were drinking whiskey and fish. It was like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, usually like it might be, might be on the rocks or it might be a, like a Manhattan.
0: I love it. I love it. You, you guys were so focused when I saw you in action. I, like, I don't know if we, we maybe had a drink at some point together, but you guys were, uh, were, were focused and, and it was so impressive from a military standpoint to watch the <laughs> logistical operation that is everything from security to pyro to lighting, all of that stuff come together, man. It was fun. It was complex. It was. It was. Um, I mean, one of them, more than any military operation, I always remember when a golf cart came to pick me up at the entrance on that 9-11 show, and a security guy wearing an IVA t-shirt somehow got us through like nine different crowds, nine different security. It was like a total military operation, got me directly to backstage, and it was like a Navy SEAL insertion. I was like, man, these guys are not fucking around.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the part of the reason you got that feeling is that um, when most bands start touring and this was true for us too they 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 when they, the moment they need some security they either hire basically a glorified bouncer or they hire their their home their, their biggest homie from back home <laughs> yeah. right so it's like the, either, either the biggest guy on their football team or a guy who bounced was a bouncer at the bar around the corner from the from the you know their house um, and we did start there Yeah, and then we realized very quickly. Like, wait a minute, these guys aren't like the best guys you can get. Like, they're big, but that doesn't mean anything. If like shit goes down, like, what's Bubba gonna do? (laughs) He's not gonna do anything. He's gonna he's gonna gonna just try and fight somebody, which is not gonna help anything. Right. So we start. We actually did start hiring people with military backgrounds. So the reason you felt that is because we always hired some people with some form of military training. Yep, um, yep. our, our best guys, our favorite guys, like the guy, my, the guy who I, uh, two guys who I spent the most time with, uh, one of them was George, who you yep. remember yep. and George, uh, also ended up like he worked for like, Will after us, he went and he worked with Will Smith. He worked with Dwayne Johnson, like, and it's because he had a, a background in British military. And then the guy that, that took his role after his name, Ed, and De- Ed was Delta Force.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got to give a shout out to George. He's an outstanding human. He, he he was a guy who who introduced me, I think you guys to you guys in the beginning through that extended military community. Um but go going to logistics in a way, Mike, I got to ask you another question I ask all of our guests. When you were growing up, Mike Shinoda, what was your first car?
2: My first car was it was basically a Honda Accord hatchback. Um and my parents gave me a deal. They had told me, you know, um, from when I, when I as, as young as maybe like 14, 15, they said, you're going to save up money for your car. And, you know, so, so start now. And so I saved up, I think I saved up a couple thousand dollars over the course of multiple summers. And then they surprised me and they said, okay, we'll match, we'll match your money. But they did that at the end. They didn't tell me that before. <laughs> they thought I was going to get the worst. I was literally looking at cars that were like, you know, decades old and they were like, okay, surprise, we can, we're going to help you out. And so I ended up getting this little hatchback, which it, it was awesome for what I, when I needed it to be. What color was it, Mike? Um, it was red actually. It was like, kind of like, it was like, so actually here's the thing about it. Um, if you want to get specific, yeah. the, the year that they, that the, the company Acura started, so Acura was like the higher-end Honda. Right Here that they started that company, they just took the Honda Accord and they made it an Integra <laughs> and they just called it an Integra. And, and you're like, but it's the same car. It's exactly the... They used... It was literally exactly the same. And um, that's actually what I got. So when I say, tell people Honda Accord, they go, okay, I know what that looks like. When I say... If I say Acura Integra, they think of another thing. So it's not hmm. that. Hmm. Anyway, it was, it was like, you know... It didn't break down very much. It was relatively reliable. Um, And I ended up totaling it because I fell asleep at the wheel. Wow. On the freeway in California, and I almost died. Um, I was like up all night the night before with friends and like an idiot. I was trying to drive from LA to Santa, Santa Barbara in it. And I fell asleep at the wheel. And I first, I fell asleep and then I woke up. My eyes came open and I was headed into the car in front of me. I went, oh shit. And I like braked. And then I rolled down the windows and turned up the music and I was trying to decide if I should pull over or not. And then I, next thing I knew, I was opening my eyes again. I had two wheels on gravel. Um, There was no barricade to my left. So it was just, I was drifting into oncoming traffic going 90 miles an hour. The barrier started in front of me. So if I went left, I'd be dead. If I went straight, I'd be dead. And I instinctively just went, oh, and I yanked the wheel to the right. I had two wheels on gravel. So I spun out and I went spinning across four lanes of traffic and slammed into the the barrier on the the right side. Uh, Luckily, I think what happened is everybody had already seen me drifting all over the place. And so they had backed off really far. And so I didn't hit anybody going across. I just ran into that and I walked, I, I literally walked away from it a, from a, with like a scratch on my knee, but the whole front end of the car was about like 18
0: inches long. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. The world is grateful for the safety of that hatchback, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> 80, yeah. And
2: yeah. 88 or 89 or whatever. Wow. Well, you never wrote a song about this experience, did you? I don't think it ever made its way into a song, no.
0: Well, it might be for the yeah, maybe for the next album. So one of the things, Mike, we've been talking to folks who are who are frontline leaders, creators during all this that's going on right now. You've got, you know, a pandemic, you've got uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the change happening there, and you've got an election, and everything is changing. but the the one thing I really wanted to get your thoughts on, Mike, most of all is music is obviously changing. Yeah. you guys have been a touring band for decades around the world um what do you see as the future of music you've been creating the future of music now for your whole life basically what in your view does the future of music look like and what does the future of shows look like oh it's such a tough question
2: I, i i i don't think i think if we hear optimism coming from people in music about having shows i i would caution against that kind of behavior um I say this because I have a I, like part of my view on on the the world with COVID is that I've got two really close friends who are doctors in LA, but they're not just doctors. One of them runs a dozen hospitals all over this area, and the other one is a medical researcher who's actually on multiple teams trying to develop you know vaccines and treatments and things. They're very. De- it's like the only that is the subject of of coronavirus is the only thing they do all day. Mm. And when I talk to them about it, I, and this is not, and by the way, the, the fact that I know them is, has nothing to do with being in Lincoln Park or whatever. It's, it's they're just other parents at my kid's school and mm. I just, I'm friends with them. And when this whole thing started happening and they basically disappeared because they were so busy, um, I would text them once in a while like, hey, you know, we're thinking about uh, having a play date with another kid, like putting my kid with another kid, masks on and blah, blah, blah. Like, what do we do? So they would give me these adv- this advice along the way. And just from, from just asking them all these questions and get, wrapping my head around their views on, on COVID as parents, I can say like, uh, there's no part of me that wants to put fans and crew members... Parents and children in harm's way by 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 enticing them to get together in a large number with a concert. Mm. Um, It's just not it's not happening anytime soon. Even if we move to treatments, which are more likely than vaccines, even with treatments, getting hundreds or thousands of people together is a terrible idea. And I would feel guilty being the one who's instigating that event Mm. personally. So, with that said. Do I think virtual concerts are the way? Do I think, you know, live streams of concerts are the way? I think that those are I think that that we've already got fatigue on live stream concerts that people don't really care about those anymore. They did for a month and then after that the bands were like I already did it. I've, I've done three of them. I don't want to do any more live on stream concerts. Like I want to do something else. So it'll be interesting I think to see um, what artists do. The, la- the last thing I'll say about it, mm. and, and this is just like a comparison or a, um, I think that you, a lot of the vets who are watching will relate to this idea. Artists, musicians are getting really lost in the shuffle with this mm. whole thing. Pe- people don't think about, because when you think of like, oh, what's a musician who's lost income because of coronavirus, what's that look like? They're thinking like, Imagine Dragons and Ariana Grande, right? It's, right. Like, it's like, oh, you've got plenty, you are sitting on plenty of money. Right. I'm sorry that you didn't get to, do, to go sell out stadiums somewhere. The reality is, for every one of them, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of other small groups and small bands who have been just grinding away at like club circuits and arena circuits, or who are just in the beginning point of starting to build their their, their group, their passion, their music, their whatever. And it's, that is shut off. That Mm -hmm. faucet is off and it's not coming on and they can't make a living doing it. I am so sad when I hear about artists who are, you know, just trying to make a living, like being a musician, because it's the only thing they know how to do and the only thing they're good at. And like, they're like bagging groceries or something like they're doing some, you know, just anything else to like, pay the bills. That's really, that's tough.
0: Mike, I think your, your insight is, is valuable for a number of reasons, but I think, I don't know if you look at it this way, but I feel like you're in this time now, especially in the last couple of years where you've kind of emerged into being an elder in the music industry. And I say that with all due respect, right? Recognizing, I think you're a couple years younger than me, but you've <laughs> collaborated with so many different people. You've had so many different projects. You span so many different genres. And now it almost feels like as a fan of yours, you're kind of going back to your roots, like creating in your house or in your basement and collaborating and creating at a very like stripped down level. But I think many artists also look to you as, 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 as an icon, but even more as an elder, as someone who understands the landscape and can predict the future and help them. Even you, you know, you don't have to shout out to the little bands that are scrapping in clubs, but you're doing that because you, you know, you pay it forward, you pay it back. You remember where you came from. Um, but your new your new um, your new project. I mean, do you call you have to help me here? Do you call it an album nowadays? Do you call it a record? Do you call oh, it that's a, a good point? I actually, I, I so
2: so I mentioned the live stream thing, and, and what I'd say. I mean, the reason I I it, so the the album is it's technically an album, but it's basically on la- last week I put out a an album of instrumentals. It's mostly instrumentals, and there's one track with vocals. Um, the, the, the timeline on it was the, was the following. I, I was, when we started getting quarantine quarantined, I, I was working on a song, uh, called open door and I showed a bunch of, I decided to just go on the live stream. It was actually on Instagram at the time, but I decided to go on live stream and show people what I was doing. And I made the, I finished the song in front of people. You know, I'd like in over the course of a few days. And then I decided that I wanted an, a voice on it that wasn't mine, probably like a female voice. Yeah. And I put out the, uh, I gave them the instrumentals and all the words. And I said, if you guys can sing, sing it and, you know, tag me so I can find you. And I'm going to pick fans to put on the song, which yeah. is what I did. Yeah. As I was doing that, I started, I was still streaming. So I was streaming, um, I started doing my live stream on Twitch, and I would make stuff. Basically, I made music. I make music four days a week, uh, between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Twitch, and I start from scratch. Um, I, I, most of the days, I'm challenged by fans to um, they they submit their suggestions of what styles to make. Yeah, and I. I make those, I mash those things up. I, make, I think my favorite ones were like, I've gotten things as crazy as um, mariachi music. They want me to make mariachi music, video game theme songs, uh, horror hip hop, uh, <laughs> melodic metal. And then there was even one when there was like, they wanted me to make a song in the, the, in the, in the uh, like a theme song for the Pokemon named Mew. <laughs> like make a make the, and I mash these like some of those I mash them together. I'm doing more yeah, than yeah. one of those things at once, so it's a big stretch and it's a big uh, challenge for me to do those things. So the more I did them, I just made. I every day I have a new song, a new demo, and I started decided to start putting them together in collections and putting them out on Spotify and Apple and all that to make them available to fans to just listen to whenever they want.
0: Yeah. And I love it. it. So you called it drop frames. Volume one. Is that, is that assume that more volumes are to come? Like, I love it. It spans yeah. a lot of different genres. And the thing that struck me was like, it kind of, I don't know how to say this. It kind of felt like the pandemic. It felt like a lot of different things happen. Like, I don't know how else to explain it, man, but I was listening to it. Well, Cause
2: like, they're getting created, like whatever the thing on everyone's mind, when, 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 um, Basically, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protests and, and stuff started happening in LA. That day, I didn't even really want to go on the stream so much that morning. Hmm. And then I realized, like, you know what? I need to because I, I want to touch base with people and like, see what we're all feeling. Because I'm, I'm feeling one way. A lot of people are feeling that way. I, I, I just knew that people thought like me and, a, and not like me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of just touch, like take temperatures and see what kind of conversations came out of it. And the thing that is so remarkable to me about this the, the stream that, is, that I'm doing, that I'm, I'm having on Twitch, is for most of your listeners, they may not be familiar with Twitch at all. Most people think that Twitch is like a video game streamer platform. And, and you're right, it, it is mostly that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also art and music on Twitch. And I knew going into it that I would have a channel like that's not like anybody else's channel. Like it's I'm my skill set's entirely different. My abilities are different, and I can teach. We can have the types of conversations we have, and I can maybe teach people things about you know just on a simple level, like about music production or like how to like write or record a part. And then we started doing it, and I was like, wow, this platform on Twitch is maybe the the only social media style platform that I am a part of that is by and large positive and Mm -hmm. civil. I can go on there. We can have a conversation about Black Lives Matter. We can have a conversation about politics. We have a conversation about race or religion. And then we don't go crazy. I don't, I mean, it's not the, we, we talk about it a little bit here and there when it feels appropriate or when our minds get on the subject. And I don't have people screaming at each other. Mm. They're not in the chat with all caps, being nasty. Right, right. The way they are on most other platforms, and part of that is because you're, 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 like, you're accessible to everybody else. Number one, there's moderation. So, you know, our rules are like it, it cuts out. Um, it'll just automatically delete comments that are um, racist or contain certain words. Or if somebody's attacking the mod, you know, to other people, the mods will just take them out. Yeah. So there's that part. And there's the part that you're accountable to like, wait, I show up here every day. You show up here every day. We're coexisting. Like, I can't just like, you know, rip your head off. I've got to like approach this like, well, you know, listen, I'm, you guys are talking about Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth. I'm actually a cop. I actually work here and I, I see things differently and it's like, Oh shit. Okay. It's like, so what's, what's your take on this? And that conversation of like respectfully just sorting through information and trying to understand and maybe even agree to disagree. I, I, I feel like it's so miss it's missing in other, in other parts of my life. So I'm, I'm happy to be seeing it in my, on my uh, Twitch stream.
0: I think it's missing in America, Mike. And you, you know, part of what we want to do is highlight folks that are bringing light to contrast to heat. And I think you're doing that in your work. If you've been to your shows, you see that there's a lot of diversity of age, gender, race, politics, you know, all mixed up in one place. But, um, you've also, you know, you're not afraid to take punches, throw punches, you've tackled issues. You know, Mm -hmm. you were writing a song about, you know, Japanese internment camps, you know, over a decade ago, right. About your family's experience. And I think for many people, That was the power of of how music can make an entirely new generation aware of a part of history that many folks didn't know about. So Mm -hmm. you've always been at that intersection of politics and society and art. So as we as we are in this moment, Mike, what are your thoughts on on this moment? I mean, you wrote I think when you announced your new project, you said, hey, I'm running for president. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? It was right around when Kanye was right running. Right. Well, that was, was directly like, a response to that, and I didn't say
2: it. I mean, everybody understood the subtext, yeah, right? I, I did too. But I'm Barney was like, should I hope I should. he gets in the mix because he's promoting an album. Like yeah. they said he's trolling. He's just a troll."
0: yes but 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 this moment man i mean our president's a troll too right so like what yeah. what are your thoughts on you know you're raising kids in this environment you're creating art in this environment i just want to kind of give you the floor man this is a pivotal moment in history and what are mike shinoda's insights on on where we are right now the leadership in washington it's all happening and i know you're I, going to put it into your work but i i the way i feel about it i mean first of all
2: like you know it's <laughs> If for an artist to speak on politics, I feel like that's natural that's like there's a lot of precedent for musicians who what we put into our art is what is going on inside of us like we if that's if the thing that's bothering us i'm I'm already seeing and I'm excited to see more um stories and and songs of protest and personal uh feelings from black artists who finally feel like, oh my God, you guys are listening. And this is my moment to sum it all up in a good song or a good album about the plight of my family and my, my lineage and how it has you know take, brought us to this place where we as a Black family in America feel like these people are out to get us, right or wrong. That's I was raised on that. I've seen it with my own two eyes. And here's how it feels. Um I will say that for me my background is the following just to kind of set the tone for anything I say I don't have a plan thing to say right now but I will say is the backdrop for whatever I whatever I um you know what comes up here my backdrop is this my family my mom is 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 white she's what I just, I would just call her american because my mom's family has been in the US since colonial times like they trace us back like that far Um, so she's a daughter, she's a coal miner's daughter from West Virginia. Um, if I say that, then you know that her dad was a staunch Republican. My my grandfather used to drive around in his pickup truck in the backwoods of West Virginia, and he would carry a bag of money and a flask of whiskey and a gun. And that was his, those were his tools to get other Republicans to get in the back of his pickup truck and go to the polls and vote. Republican with him. If somebody was on the fence, he could offer the money or the the, the gun was for protection. The whiskey (laughs) or the money was to get people. It's like, well, are you going to go vote? And they're like, I don't have a car or I can't get out there or I'm busy, blah, blah. blah. And he would offer them, you know, and it's, it's illegal to do, but that's what he would do. Um, that's the kind of family my, my mom's side came from. They, they vary in their, you know, the children of him, they all vary in their political beliefs. My dad's family was, you know, my dad was the first generation born in the U S they came from Japan. My grandfather built a general store, uh, from nothing. And he, they became kind of the center of town. They built up this wonderful business that everybody knew about up in the, um, it's kind of in the Fresno area in California. And then, during World War II, they were all stripped of everything of value. They were sent to internment camps in Arizona, in Poston, and state, and they were forced to live there in those those dirty camps for the rest of the war. In fact, before, in between L.A. and between California and Arizona, they were actually sent to uh, the Santa Anita race track and and kept in horse stalls. In between, mm-hmm. all of these things are the are the, the building blocks of like where my worldview comes from. And so when I see uh, a, a president who, whose words I can't even repeat to my kids because they're too vulgar or they're too demeaning to specific groups of people who are minority groups, even, I mean, in some cases we're still talking about, let's forget it for a minute about the ways that Trump has said things that marginalize, um, you know, people of color, black people, indigenous people. But even when he said about women, the way he treats women, you know, in in the, not only the subtext, but the direct statements he makes, I can't, I mean, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to have to explain this to my kids. Mm. And if, and if he can't, this is one place where, this is one office and one place where we got to hold a higher standard, man. We got to hold a higher standard. We it has to be somebody that we can say to the kids like, look, the guy up there is not perfect. He's a human being just like anybody else, but he's doing a damn good job of trying to hold the country together and send us in the right direction. He's going to have some wins and some losses, but hopefully he's we can admire the kind of person he is. Hmm. And we don't. I, I don't.
0: You're not alone, man. Well said. And I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think folks need to understand, um, I, I'm so glad you started where you did because any any thought that artists need to shut up is 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 backward, fascist, you know, dismissive, ridiculous, un-American, right? So I'm I'm counting on the artists, right, and the influence that they have right now more than any other time. You know, I keep comparing last summer and this summer to kind of like the summer of '68 and '69, and the need for art and the need for voices, the need for creative uh, influence that can help people come together and channel and just understand. So mm-hmm. Mike, you're, you're, you're an artist who has in many ways channeled a lot of emotions for others. Mm-hmm. Um, this show is angry Americans. It's about the righteous anger, the things that, that drive people to action. And you're a great example of a guy who's been you know, angry at times and turned it into positive things. Mm-hmm. So the question I ask of all our guests, Mike Shinoda, what makes you angry?
2: Well, I feel like the, the things right now that, make me more angry than like they they change the course of my day you ever see read a thing or or hear a thing that you just like it boils your blood and you can't and it like you can't even like turn your day around it makes you so crazy Mm -hmm. and when i hear about people um like just embracing like corrupt act. Like basically when I hear about corruption, when I hear about corrupt activities, I mean, we hear in the voting process, you hear about things, people getting, getting um, like uh, marginalized or put through the ringer, uh, put the obstacles being put in front of people when they're just trying to vote. That makes me crazy. Mm. Obstacles getting put in front of people when they're trying to, observe their, their right to protest or to speak out or say, listen, like I have a point of view that it may not, it's not popular or it's, or it's, it may hurt your feelings, but I, so you got to listen. I mean, we have to listen to each other. Civility has been, you know, like I think you were saying, like for years now we've lost this civility. Um, and, and, and what I really, what it drives me nuts is seeing people when you, when you, Post something that's not at face value, argumentative or, or um, attacking anyone. It's just, I'm going to post on Twitter my opinion about something, or the, something I see the way I see it, and the way people go in underneath that and just attack and attack and attack, and they don't listen. One, way I, and I'll, I'll, on the other side, flipping it the other way um there's a there's i'm gonna forget his name but there's a guy do you ever see this video this guy he's a black guy who's a um he's a he runs a um martial arts school Mm -mm. jason is it jason wilson mr jason wilson is his instagram handle all right oh sorry mr jason o wilson so he posted a picture today, and this is this. So this is, and I'm. I this is the way my brain works. So I'm sorry that I can't be more angry. No, go um, for it. You got. You know, this is the opposite of your show. So let me do the opposite. Um, this is I, what makes me angry is that we can't have more of this. Hmm. He posted a picture of a lion, a lion and the cub, and it says, "Dad, what's a real N word?" And he, and the bottom says, "I don't know, son. We're kings." Now, there's a lot of cultural, there, there's a, the word kings is a, there's a cultural nod in there, but he's specific, he's making a, a very simple statement. And this guy underneath it came in and basically was like, well, why can't we use both terms? He was basically saying, um, I wanna see the way he said it, because I thought the way he said it was great. Oh, I can't find it. So the way he, basically what he said, the guy, the kid who responds and goes, well, you know, I can, I can use both terms, right? It means the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason Wilson came back in and basically told him, like, to me, it doesn't. The N word is a, is a negative word. It's a derogatory word. And that's why I've abolished it. He's used the word abolished. I've mm-hmm. abolished it from my language. And the, the person that he was talking to responded and said, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. It, the guy, the person who responded is my fucking hero. Mm. Like he didn't need to, he didn't say I disagree with you. He didn't say I agree with you. He didn't all he did was open up his fucking ears and say, Oh, I get where you're coming from. That to me, that's so refreshing. That feels so good. If we have more people just willing to say, like, oh, I'm listening that would change the fucking world. Mm. It would change everything, but Mm. nobody does that. Mm. Nobody's doing that.
0: And that makes me crazy. That wasn't the opposite of my show, Mike. That's like, (laughs) that's, that's the bullseye. Not really, man. That's the bullseye (laughs) of the show, right? Is because we have these emotions and we need to have a discussion about them and figure out how to channel them into the next thing or something positive, whether it's create, creating art or taking political action or just raising your kids, man. And I think you're, you're in a really unique position. Even hearing you go through that process is kind of why I wanted to do the show to explore mm-hmm. that and for people to understand that there's a place where it can morph and evolve and push into. And you're bringing that light out of the darkness that's so, so important, man, because, you know, it, it, and it's leadership that helps. Your clarification of that helps others. I mean, I've been reading books about how to talk to my four-year-old. And mm. and trying to understand, like instead of saying to him, you know, stop crying. It's like, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Right? Like, what what got you upset? What are the conditions? What time of day was it? Did you have? And, and it seems so basic, but when a four and a half year old's throwing a tantrum, you know, you just want to try to calm them down. I think our political discourse is kind of similar. People are saying, don't feel that way, or I feel this way, instead of stopping and saying, how can I understand why you feel that way?
2: Yeah. And, There's a lot of it's it's well it's this. What's tough is it's, there's, this, there's a tendency to be dismissive, right? You don't want to engage in... I want to sh- it's almost like I'm coming into this conversation and I just want to shut you down or shut you up mm. as quickly as possible because I don't want to hear your bullshit. I don't want to hear your point of view because my point of view is right. And I taking a really big step back, if that's where you're coming from, then maybe you should ask yourself, am I addicted to social media? Mm. That seems like a weird, a weird connection to make. I know. That seems really strange. Yeah. That has nothing to do with politics and the things we're arguing about. But so many people are used to the, uh, that action. It's like, it's like there's a physicality to picking. I'm, I have one spare moment and I'm going to pick my phone up and look at stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to interact with whatever I see. And Twitter's built on that. Like that's you get more of that on Twitter and Facebook because that's the that's the the nucleus of what their platform is. That's why you don't see re reposts and retweets and whatever on Instagram and on TikTok and Snapchat. Those it's like TikTok. You literally have to export it. Actually, actually Instagram too. You have to export it into a separate app in order to re repost uh, something. Yeah. Twitter is just a repost machine, so it's just yeah. it's all about viral pushing stuff out. And what it does is it incentivizes that kind of um, gut reaction, um, lizard brain, and like that that primitive, primal brain that re- that responds to uh, dramatic information, negative information. Uh, and like name calling and bullshit. And and by the way, conspiracies too. Anything that's shocking or like makes you go like, whoa, that's what it's built on. So if if you took that away from it, the platform would fail. Mm. You gotta say to yourself, like, my well-being is more important than Twitter's well-being. Fuck Twitter. Fuck getting on my phone. Like when I wake up and my brain is feeling bad, comes back to that same thing about mental health. If I wake up and I know that I'm agitated or I'm not at ease and at peace for whatever reason, my suggestion to someone would be the first thing to look at at taking a little bit of a break from or just spend less time with is your phone. Mm-hmm. First thing take don't look at don't look at social media. Take a break. could be half a day. You, if you don't feel better taking a break from that for half a
0: day, then maybe you haven't taken a long enough break, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of insight in there, man. A lot of insight in there. So let, let me go to my last question, which builds on that, and you're, you're getting to it. You know, Mike Shinoda, what makes you happy?
2: I mean, I at this point, I realize that, like, the, the well-being of not just myself, but also my family, like, knowing that my kids are doing pretty well in spite of the, like, distance, what, what at our school they call distance learning. Right um, the like zoom calls with teachers and all that stuff. Um, I'm, you know, we do, we do before my kids go to bed, we ask what their favorite part of the day is. And we ask what they're grateful for. Mm. And on days when they had a crappy day, we make them answer that question, and 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 by the way, like sometimes I'll let them get away with a kind of a BS like answer. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. some days it's like I'm grateful that you're my dad. It's like I'm just gonna let them get away. It's fine. <laughs> the, the 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 day when they have just like the bad, you know, just garbage happen one after the other, one thing after the other, and they really feel like down, and they're going to bed, and it's like, well, tell you it was a bad day. Like I, I was fighting with my friend. Mm -hmm. And they kicked me off of a video game or like, Mm -hmm. you know, I got mad or my sister got mad or mom got mad or whatever. That stuff happens. And they, and, and asking them to say, okay, you know, in spite of all that, like, what are you grateful for though? If you really think about it, that, that just recenters the day. And I, and I'm, I'm, I find that making it, making a like habit out of that brings a better for me. It's always, it's been. We've done it for a long time, so but it's been bringing a better quality of life.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing that. We've been doing something. So, we had Stephanie Rule on a couple of months ago. She talked about roses and thorns and she sits with her kids each, each dinner table and says, talk, talk about you know the, the rose of your day, the thorn of your day. And we, we've been adjusting with that. And it's really, really important and helpful and... All of what you've said today is important and helpful. <laughs> it really is. I mean it, Mike. Like, like, you know, I'm glad people get to hear you talk about these issues and talk about what's going on because, you know, so many points over the last couple of decades, your work. Uh, and Lincoln in parks work and all the other projects you've been working on, have given people, um, you know, a, a source of strength and community and joy, and they need it now more than ever. Uh, and you know, I, I want to, again, just thank you for your courage. Cause you really put yourself out there in so many ways where you didn't have to. And, and it does bring other people strength. It's brought me strength. It's brought a lot of other communities strength and, and the country's going to need you now more than ever, man. And, and you're, you're, you're a great artist and a great teacher. Uh, and that's something that I've seen and I have to give you some gifts before we wrap up and you get over to, uh, a, not, not a conversation on Twitter. Uh, I got some <laughs> gifts for you that I would normally give to you in real life, but I have to hold. So I got some angry Americans gear coming your way oh, made yeah. by, uh, the veterans of Oscar Mike, super comfortable. And, uh, you'll probably dig the designs cause you're a design master. Um, yeah. Got some Bravo Sierra stuff coming your way. They're our sponsor, act, uh, some some uh, antibacterial body wipes and oh. some deodorant and all kinds of other stuff, but they support uh, the veterans and military community. And this is uh, another piece, since you did say whiskey. We got some Uncle Nearest coming your way,
1: what?
0: which is uh, <laughs> really great stuff, and you can either enjoy it yourself or... Um, Give it out to one of those great artists that joined you on the album. Um, but Uncle Nearest has got a great story. If you haven't heard it, you'll hear it soon. And Jeffrey Wright introduced us to it. and He's an awesome artist as well. And then lastly, kind of the Rorschach test of our show. Um, we normally do this in person, but we have three colors of Peeps. Blue, yellow, and pink. If you were to choose one color, Mike Shinoda, which color would you choose and why?
2: Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think I'd choose yellow. I think I'd choose yellow. It's like a, uh, it, it at our, I think that it's like the, that's one of those like, like, uh, energetic, it's like an energy and a, and a happy color. Right. I mean, you can't, I, I, maybe you just can't be sad eating a peep anyway. <laughs> so you <laughs> are a fan of peeps. Crying, eating a peep. Like that's a very sad, that's a
0: sad image. <laughs> the community is going to ask you to make a song about that on Twitch tomorrow. Yellow, peeps. Yellow <laughs> yeah. peeps. The sad peep song. Oh my God. Well, my friend, I am so grateful for your time, for joining me on this show, for all that you do, uh, to your family. You know, your wife is amazing. You guys have brought so much positivity and so much great support to so many causes and just who you are and what you do, man. Uh, your extended crew, your whole team, just a total class act. Uh, I'm just really grateful for your time, your friendship, your inspiration, and, and really grateful you could join me on Angry Americans, man.
2: Appreciate it, man. Thanks for what you do as well. Um, and thanks for having me. Yeah, man. And next time we'll take, you know, maybe your
0: guitar in the background and my Camaro, and we could turn it into something. That's a music video, right? <laughs> we gotta find that we gotta find that hatchback somewhere, man. It's in a junkyard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Mike Shinoda. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. Stay Thanks. frosty. Thank you. There's plenty of reason to be angry now for everyone everywhere but there's also a way to turn it a way to channel it a way to harness it and a way to make a positive impact just like mike has done with this new album his last album and all his work and there's always time to turn that anger sadness frustration inspiration agony into positive impact there's always time to be a helper always look for the helpers
3: there will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope.
0: Every show, I offer you a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive impact. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. And like this show, the actions are always packed with the four I's. Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Don't just be angry, be active. And many of you have been active and stepped up to support justice for Vanessa Guillen. I told you about Vanessa Guillen, who was missing since April and was tragically killed and mutilated by a fellow soldier after she was harassed, intimidated and assaulted. We got to keep up the heat. Check the hashtag Justice for Vanessa Guillen and stand in solidarity with the Guillen family, the veterans community, and people all across the country in demanding congressional accountability and change. The momentum is building, but we got to pour it on. Check out Justice for Vanessa Guillen or follow Angry Americans on social for more. A couple other quick actions. This one's simple, wear a damn mask. Try to get your family and friends to do the same. It's an easy one, but it can help us all fight the virus and get back to seeing some concerts sooner rather than later. Also, I told you about the big fire in San Diego aboard the USS Bonhomme Richard. There's a way you can step up and help. That's by supporting an organization called STEP. Support the enlisted project. Go to stepsocal.org, that's stepsocal.org, and you can help out. STEP helps junior active duty enlisted and recently discharged enlisted veterans facing financial crisis. They have counseling, education, and grants, and they're stepping up right now to provide support to the thousands of families impacted in San Diego that live and work around the USS Bonehome Richard. So go to stepsocial.org. You can make a donation for as little as 25 bucks. You can help get an emergency bag, or you can actually send in-kind donations ranging from hand sanitizer to deodorant and cleaning supplies. But you can step up by going to stepsocal.org. A lot of you have taken action over the last couple of months. Don't stop now. Don't just be angry. Be active. My thanks to you for getting involved. And... My thanks for continuing to support this show. We continue to top the charts. Our last show with Joy Taylor has gotten tremendous response, lots of downloads, lots of sharing. Thank you to all the new folks who joined us who are regular listeners of Joy or you watch her on The Herd. Uh, also, our show at Willie Geist, our show at Ron Perlman, Charlotte climber all those shows are rocking. So thank you for the support. Thank you for sharing. And if you're new, welcome. Lots of folks have joined us in the last few weeks, and the numbers are exploding and lots of folks are going back and downloading the archives so if you're new here check out angryamericans.us for all our past episodes there's folks like rosie perez which is especially interesting now that boxing is back the great henry rollins is one of our most popular episodes and jason alexander continues to be out in front on twitter and in the social media space check out jason alexander from seinfeld samantha b always in the political mix Great episode with her Jeffrey Wright Who's a fantastic talent A really interesting episode And Amy McGrath From months ago Who now will face off Against Mitch McConnell In November for the Senate And if you love this discussion About music with Mike Check out Mark Roberge From OAR You can check out Inventor Dean Kamen The guy who created the Segway Tattoo Master Scott Campbell And many more All of them are available Wherever you got this pod And videos are available At angryamericans.us Great for pandemic breaks We also continue to play Guess the Guest on social media, so check for that on Wednesday nights on the socials for Angry Americans, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every Wednesday night we will post a graphic and challenge you to Guess the Guest. And we had some winners for this episode. My friend Michael Blazer successfully guessed Mike Shinoda. He's from down in Nashville, Tennessee, an amazing town for live music. Thomas Fant in New York City also guessed correctly. Sarah Kay also in New York City. And Jason M. Mike also got it right. Uh, And he rocked some awesome Angry American gear on his Instagram on July 4th. Very sharp-looking gear, very sharp-looking mask. Well done, Jason. Well done, everyone who correctly guessed Mike Shinoda for this episode. And next episode, I've got another very special guest, someone who is coming on for a very special birthday. A true American hero, another American icon. I don't want to tease it any more than that, but tell your friends it's going to be a big one. It will inspire you. It will move you, and you will be so happy you showed up for it. And I'm thankful for all the support that keeps us on the top of the top 50 U.S. political podcasts. We also have now hit number 40 in the Philippines. We're not Lincoln Park, but we are popular worldwide. We're staying on the charts from Lithuania to Thailand to Ecuador. So big thanks to the folks who are tuning in from all across the world. And. Big thanks to folks who made this episode happen. Of course, Mike Shinoda. Get his new album, Drop Frames Volume 1. It's out now everywhere. You can check him out on Twitch daily at 10 a.m. If you're not on Twitch, Mike's a good reason to start. You can follow him anywhere and look for more powerful work to come. And go back and listen to all his work from the beginning. From Linkin Park and Fort Minor and all the collaborations, Mike Shinoda is a true talent. And no matter what kind of music you like, you will find something that you dig from the great Mike Shinoda. Thanks also to the whole Righteous team, Mighty Mercy Rich, Creative Chris Rosenthal, Badass Bill Schultz, our friends at Uncle Nearest Whiskey. Thank you to you all and to our vigilant Patreon members and our newest Patreon members, especially Tripper Vincent and Dodie Gaines. Welcome to Tripper and Dodie. Thanks to all of you who are part of our powerful community on Patreon. You're supporting independent news, politics, and culture like this, and you get insider exclusives. If you are a Patreon member, you found out about Mike Shinoda first, and I gave you some insights into what it was like to talk to Mike from his studio in Los Angeles. But look for Angry Americans on Patreon. I'll continue to share inside looks, and you'll get other goodies, including videos and upcoming events. You can find out more also, of course, at angryamericans.us. And as always, thanks to my wife, my family, my amazing two boys, and big news. I told you last episode that we have another robin egg outside of our house. Same nest, new egg. It was only one last time. Here's the update. We now have three eggs. Three eggs. Same nest, three more beautiful, majestic robin's eggs. And the journey begins again, and my little boys are psyched. So stay tuned for more information on that. And please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. You can subscribe now and have it hot and fresh waiting for you every Thursday night. We will do our best to get it to you on time, but follow us on social media and you will find out first. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. And go to angryamericans.us to sign up for our newsletter. We will continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome just like the great Mike Shinoda. Stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we'll keep this movement growing episode by episode by episode. There are no concerts this summer, and that's a real bummer. But as I've gotten older, I've found myself going deeper into artists like Neil Young, as I talked about in last episode, and listening to more Creedence Clearwater Revival, one of Mike Shinoda's favorites. And I've been out of the city still with our family in an undisclosed location. It's nothing fancy, but it has a deck, and some mountains, and some amazing views of the stars. And although I don't have any concerts of any kind this summer, I do have my own private concerts on that deck a few nights a week. Sometimes with the boys, sometimes with my wife, sometimes alone. And I am continuing to love Radio Woodstock. Check them out anywhere. You can find them online. But Radio Woodstock plays amazing music, and they played this classic that I love. It's Kenny Wayne Shepherd from back in 1998, and the title has a whole new meaning now. Kenny Wayne Shepherd has an amazing story. He was only 20 when that song rocketed to the top and spent 42 weeks on Billboard's hot mainstream rock tracks chart, and it rose to number one where it stayed for six weeks. He opened that year for Van Halen, and he's been nominated for five Grammys. He's gotten two Billboard Music Awards, two Blues Music Awards, and two Orville H. Gibson Awards. And, interestingly, he's married to Mel Gibson's daughter, Hannah. And he headlined earlier this year, 2020, the Mahindra Blues Festival, right before the pandemic hit in February in Mumbai, India, alongside Buddy Guy, Larkin Poe, and the great Keb Moe. So we don't have concerts this summer, but we do have lots of amazing music, old and new. And Summer in America, even now, is still about music. So I hope you can get out there or stay in there and enjoy it in whatever way you can. Because as Mike showed us, there's always a way to find connection, find creativity, and find community. It's okay to be angry, especially now. And know that you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Please wear a mask, listen to more music, and stay frosty.